our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Hey guys, and welcome back to Our Deepest Fear with your host, Romza. Today, I have somebody really special on the show. His name is Anthony Trucks, and he's a serial entrepreneur with one serious superpower. He has the power to know his identity and navigate life's shifts, good and bad, with grace and optimism to elevate how he operates to level up his life and business, which is why he created Identity Shift, a company focused on helping people close the identity gaps that are responsible for their shortfalls in potential and lack of success. He helps people find out who they truly are and to develop into who they want to be. He was given away at three years old into a foster care system and spent the majority of his life fighting to find out who he is and what he's meant to do while he's here, like many of us do. He's a former NFL athlete, a former gym owner, an international speaker, an author, a shift coach, and is on NBC's American Ninja Warrior, where he became the first former NFL athlete to hit a buzzer. He has overcome countless challenges to make shift happen in his life, a gift he now gives to others through his life's work. I'd like to welcome Anthony Trucks. What's going on, brother? Nothing much, man. Just here over here trying to, trying to live up to this amazing intro now. That's all. <laughs> oh, you're definitely doing it. You're definitely doing it. It, it might be a little uh, short, the intro. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more in there that we weren't able to share yeah, in the first missed, few seconds. You missed the part about how I make amazing grilled cheese and quesadillas, um, how I smash my boys a pig. You missed some of those, but we'll get those later. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, man. Uh, it's a, a, well, a town called Antioch, which the only claim to fame we have is that a woman named J.C. Dugard got kidnapped and kept under some guy's backyard for like 18 years. So that was wow. all. That's seriously weird, but that's where I grew up, man. But uh, I now live in a town called Quantic Creek. Wow. That's a, that's a crazy claim to fame. Weird, right? I mean, I didn't do it. I had no part of it, but it's, it's where I live. It's where I grew up. But yeah, San Francisco Bay Area, man, Northern California. What were you like as a kid growing up? I was a bad little kid, bro. You know, and the thing is, is it's not that I was a bad kid because I have any specific reason, but I think what ends up happening is I grew up in an environment where I was just bounced around and, you know, you don't have a lack of solid kind of base or care. My formative years, I was just this kid that was just tossed around between foster home and foster home and just treated poorly. So what ends up happening is you get really walled off and you're emotionally just kind of just, uh, you know, kind of bare, you know, barren. You don't have much of a care in the world. So that turned into me not caring about people to, uh, you know, obviously acting out in school and just get in trouble at home. This was very difficult. And so as a kid, I wasn't a pleasant person. I was just all over the place. I had ADHD 100%. And so that paired with a, just a, a lack of desiring to care about anybody just turned into this, you know, you will operate off a of base. It's like the, you know, the id, ego, super ego. And so whenever you're, you're operating off of your, your id, it's just pure desire without any of the super ego coming in to balance it off. So your ego is, you know, kind of calm. So I was just operating off whatever I felt like that day. And a lot of the time it just felt like chaos. So that's what I did. Yeah, our outer world just a reflection of our inner world, right? Always is, man. So how many families did you get bounced around to? Uh, I Six in total. I think that the family I'm in now, which is my you know my final family I got adopted by, is my sixth house. What What was that like? Like, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, it's one of those things, I guess it depends on how it's going to see it. The, the Anthony that you'll hear right now say it is different than the Anthony you have heard 10 years ago talk about it. So the Anthony right now will tell you that it was a, a, a dark experience that gave me a lot of, um, I guess, introspection when I got old enough to be able to make sense of people, I guess. So 
the experience at, you know, at this moment in time was one that was, I, I appreciate, I didn't like it, but I appreciate it because you learn how to, how to like see people for who they are. I mean, I, I have some weird uncanny abilities to just read people because as a kid, when you're trying to learn, you know, if this person's going to beat me, feed me, whatever it may be, I got to kind of gauge. And it's like those, the nonverbals I can figure out from people fairly quickly. So I can learn that from, from these people. And so that's like something I learned, but it's just tough, man. You never have any base of solid, uh, I guess, comfort. I never knew for sure it's a place that I woke up on, like in this bed, like, am I going to go to bed in this bed? I had no idea for 14 years of my life. Well, 11 years of my life after three years old. And then you just, you know, you're, you're with people that some are nice and they're just nice when the social workers there, as soon as that person leaves, it's a whole different flip and switch. And then, you know, some people, you know, they'd be super mean and, and just, you don't know why. It just, I don't know. It's a very, the thought of it emotionally unsettles me when I go back there emotionally. Wow. It's, it's just this tornado of uh, a lack of any assurance or any, like any sense of confidence, like it's going to be okay. Like that's the thing that, that just, and I think that triggers the emotion of it. There's never a chance where I could go back and say, I'm going to be okay. Cause I never knew that for sure for a lot of years of my life. Yeah. Wow. Like no footing, no handhold, like nothing. Wow. Yeah, it's not there. They don't give it, but it's also even worse because back then there wasn't social media. There was nobody, you know, filming videos and taking notes and paying attention to kids. It was just, it was the 80s, man. It was like, you know, it was 86 I was giving away. So from 86, you know, until I was adopted in like 98 or something crazy like that, there's just no way to know. Like you just, you're pretty much riding the wave of, of whatever's going on and, and you'd say something to these foster you know parents stop or you'd say something to the social workers but what they know is most of these foster kids are trying to make up stories to get go back home to their parents so even the real stories were so crazy that they didn't believe them they just thought i was making something up so i can go back to my real mom wow did you get into a lot of fights Oh, a ton, bro. I think my, my in sixth grade, I want to say, I, I, I heard I was in like 16 different fights, or I got 16 referrals. I don't know if it was all fights, but I was like, I had like 16 referrals in sixth grade alone. I was always in trouble. I got nice. fights in the playground. But you know, I also think there's part of the dynamic was the racial dynamic. I grew up in a predominantly white area uh, with an all white family. It's from the age of like, you know, six years on to 14. And I was finally adopted. I mean, obviously, six till forever now. But in that area, man, it wasn't very diverse. And so a lot of the fights I got into were, you know, the kids call me racial slurs in the playground or just me arguing with the, uh, the older kids. Because I was a very argumentative kid. I was not this, uh, you know, tell me to be quiet. And like, no problem. I'll just sit here and be awesome. Like, I always had something to say. And so, you know, no different than the playground. I'm always, you know, arguing the rules and super competitive. And so, yeah, I, uh, I made it very difficult to interact with me. So I got in a lot of fights. That's why I love you, bro. <laughs> no joy. So what, what was your final family like? Uh, my current family, we are a dysfunctional bunch, man. That's kind of the way the world works, right? There's, I'm one of six. My older brother's in the military. Uh, my, you know, some of my siblings are, unfortunately, you know, addicted to drugs. I have um, some siblings that are you know, doing well. and They're you know, getting their nursing degrees, if you call it that, or nursing certifications, go to school there. Um, some of just you know, have regular jobs. There's different people. And then you know, my dad... He's only 12 years older than me. Like, it's a crazy thing, too. My mom, wow. my, yeah, my mom had my brother when she was 14, and my grandma had my mom when she was I believe, 15. So she's a 29-year-old grandma. Like, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, but now the family, we were very poor. Didn't have much, but we had each other. You know, we'd play games. We'd be active. We'd do our thing. You know, we bickered like anybody else would bicker. Uh, became very resourceful. Like I learned how to be resourceful at an early age because I realized if I wanted anything, it was going to come because I was the one that went out and got it. And so in this family, man, it was just you know, a lot of crazy dysfunction. But we did have love, man. We didn't, we didn't love each other. It just was, you know, more difficult because it wasn't the main focus in the world was like, how can we get some food today? And like, can we get able to pay the bills and get out of the house? Like, that was kind of the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was, uh, I was talking to my buddy and uh, he did really well financially. And he's like, listen, bro, he's like, when I was poor... The only problem I had was how to make some money. He's like, now I got a lot of money and I got way more fucking problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, that's always a part of it, dude. You gotta find yeah. out how to keep your money, how to hide your money, how to not get, you know, taken advantage of. How to, For sure. And then your lifestyle changes. So you have to make more money. And it's just, yeah, it's a weird dynamic. Yeah. So what did you, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be in a family that wouldn't beat me. 
<laughs> right. Uh, no, I mean, I just, I didn't have any dreams like that. That's the weird part. People think that I've always been like this dream laden human because I do have big aspirations and stuff. But, but even now, if you get to know me, I, you don't hear me consistently talk about the dreams, what I'm going to achieve. And I, I found out very early, uh, that I just have to kind of put my head down and work on things and just create my life. And then I like the idea of when somebody finds out about me, they're like, damn it, how did I not know you existed? Like, how you in the background just doing all this stuff? Like, I don't know, it's just me. I don't do things for the desire of anybody else. So uh, what my drive was, was just to be happier tomorrow. That was it. So when I grew up, I just wanted to not be a criminal at one point. I just wanted to be happy. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, and so I just kind of lived my life, man. But But growing up, I didn't. I didn't have the capacity for dreams. Foster kids were not, were not given that. Like if you look at any prison in America, 75% of the inmates are former foster kids. 50% of the homeless population are former foster kids. And I think like less than 1% of us will graduate from college. So statistically we are not set to do right. Like it's just so genuinely like we don't have the capacity to dream. We're not taught this. It's not something that becomes part of us because there's not a mom and a dad at home saying you can be whatever you want. All you have is someone that was your mom that said, I don't want this kid. And then everybody else shows you they don't want you, but they get a paycheck for you being there. Fuck. I mean, it's it's the trauma, right? I posted a video recently uh, with this woman that goes to prisons and she talks to prisoners about trauma and all of them have massive trauma. And it's the trauma that like made them act out in those ways. So it's like, of course, like foster kids are some of the most traumatized kids on the planet. So fuck, like, man, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's incredible that you've become who you've become. Like, yeah, it's right here. I don't know how it happened. I mean, it's, it's a lot of factors. I believe face a big piece of it. And I think it's a compound effect of just trying to do good stuff. I think it's a big piece of it, but there's, yeah, there's no definitive, like here's exactly how I became me. I have dialed down to like my programs and I guide people through some of the foundations but not many people have gone through the, the kind of crazy trauma and weird, you know, backgrounds I've gone through. And then I was, I'm not always working on people, you know, from their childhood on up. It's like, I want to make more money. I want to be you know, a better husband, like that kind of thing. But yeah. it's very weird, bro. I'm a weirdo. I mean, I, I get it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. If trauma, if there's one thing that I understand on this planet, it's fucking trauma, bro. Yeah, yeah, I dig <laughs> it. I know you do. <laughs> so what was the first process? I, I, all right. So I know you like a lot of stuff. Like what I like to refer to is the idea of a polymath, like a Leonardo da Vinci or even an Albert Einstein or like people that are have have gifts in a lot of different things. Right. Like they're not specialists. They're generalists. And I, I, I always I, I think of myself as one. And I definitely would probably put you in that category as well i mean you've achieved massive achievements in many different things but what was the first process that you fell in love with um i think the very first process for me was when i was in high school and so i was uh tried my first year when i was you know finally adopted i tried football and football for me was this thing where like i want to go and be that guy because all my classmates did it and you know i want to i want to be that guy and you know and wear the jersey on fridays before games like they do and so what ends up happening is I, you know, I try out my first year and I suck. And I was like, yeah, this sucks. I don't like the feeling of this, which most people have experienced like that at some point. You experience something and you go, you know what, I'm going to try this thing. And you're like, oh, well, I suck at this. This does not feel good. I'm going to go do something else. And that's how I felt, you know. So I tried football. I sucked. The next year I tried it one more time. I had a good couple games. And like the last seven games, I just tanked. And so at the end of like that season, I was like, I'm done with this. And then the, the big pivot for me. One of like the biggest, you know, I guess moments like you just described was I just decided like, you know what? I want to be a phenomenal football player. If you want to say grow up, I didn't want to grow up. and be like, I just wanted that right now. I wanted to have the feeling that these guys who were good, they have. And so I went to this really interesting, uh, non-intentional transformation of who I was internally uh, and externally, strength-wise and physical-wise, to where I showed up the very next year as a, just a different dude. Like I was, it was a different internal human that just had this different anger and edge. And all of a sudden that extracted from me this extra level of, of, you know, abilities athletically that I had no idea were hidden dormant. And that was one of the biggest transformations internally that, that guided me towards eventually playing the NFL and everything else so on. 
What did you tell yourself that caused that transformation? Because I know it starts with internal conversation. So what, if you can remember, like, what was the conversation that you told yourself yeah. to tap into that hidden reservoir? You know, it was something that built, like I said, a compound it built. The first stage of it was like, I just, I heard this girl say this statement in, uh, it was in elementary school, it was in high school, but it was in Mr. Howell's English class. It was the back desk. And she was like talking to some girl next to me and I had like a parka over my head, half asleep. So they didn't even know I was listening. And then one girl says to the other girl, she says, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And, and for a lot of people to hear that, it's like, that's just, you know, okay, sounds good, right? But for me, it was like, ooh, she just said out loud the excuse that I'm using to be a loser. Like, that was the excuse I was using. And it was odd because for me, I was like, oh, that doesn't feel good. Like, that sounds like a really dumb excuse. And so the process was odd, like that unsettled me for the entire day. And I remember I went, uh, I went home and I was sitting in my room and I had this, this, you know, corner of my bed next to the TV. And I had this mirror that was like, seriously, it might've been like a, ah, maybe like a 12 by 14 inch rectangular mirror, very tiny mirror I put in the wall and I would brush my hair. Cause you know, back then I had, I had waves. I was, you yeah. had waves. I knew it. I knew yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, yeah, I have the waves, and I just brushed. So I remember I stood up, and imagine this little, you know, fifteen-year-old black kid with waves. I look myself in the pupils, and I just say, "You're going to be great." And it was it. And I, I then said it a couple times, like, "You are going to be great." It was the first time like, I talked to myself, and I felt super weird doing it. I mean, that's not what that's. I just adults that struggle to do this exact same thing. For me, at that time. Like it programmed this weird sense of like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And then the next day is like, what, what do I got to do to be great at football? Well, I got to run some routes. I got to throw a football. I got to, you know, lift some weights. And so I started doing that, dude. I would just lift weights having no idea what I was doing. But because I lifted weights today, like I got to lift weights tomorrow. So it's worth something. And now run routes. And I didn't know what I was doing. But well, because I ran today, I, I got to run tomorrow. And, you know, I, I do the, you know, the football, I catch 500 reps a day. I just set a number. Every day I'm going to catch the ball 500 times, sit on my back and throw it in the air. It took me forever every day. But by the end of that off season, it was like six, seven months later, dude, like the compounding effect of me putting in that work when no one else knew, it showed up the next year in the football field. And I just remember that there was a, a different, like, I guess, tenacious kind of, to me there was a different energy inside of what it was so like i caught every ball because i was going to catch this damn ball i didn't do that work to not catch it and you weren't going to catch it because i did all this work you weren't going to stop me from blocking i'm like that's my ball in the air too like i'm gonna tackle you you're not going to tackle me and it was this compounding effect and in the work i do i tell people from this moment i realize this what you create creates you and as a verb though like what you create in the actions of creation it's simultaneously creating a sense of confidence and an air about yourself to where you just won't, you won't, I guess, accept less than what you deserve. But the only way you get to that level is by doing things that make you worthy to what you believe you deserve something. And so like, this was the first moment it happened for me, but I remember like, you know, having conversations with people like, well, how are you like this? Like, I don't know. I just, I do too much work, man. And you know, just let you catch the ball on me, but I've been doing this all off season. It's a different sense. And so, when somebody gets to a level of life now, the unfortunate part is they wonder why they don't succeed. Really what it is, it's somewhere in, in your life or what you've experienced, you just haven't done the work. So you're fighting for what you deserve. However, what you think you deserve is so very low, it's not going to get any outcome for that. You're fighting for that that small little you know being when you got to do work to where you, you deserve to have the whole you know pie sort of thing. So that's kind of what the separation was. And it started way, way back then. And it started with football. I fucking love it. It actually makes me think of a quote by Jesse Bell Rittenhouse. I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged that evening when I counted my scanty store for life is just an employer. He gives what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why you must bear the task. I work for a menial's hire only to learn this made that any wage I had asked of life, life would have played, would have paid. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. I can write that one down, dog. Right, I'll book. send it to you, bro. Yeah, send it to me. I like that. I mean, ah, fuck. Like, it's so, it's so, it's so incredible, right? Like that 
the transformation is not external. It's internal. Like it's, it's, it's like, it's you, you choose to transform. It's not change. Like nothing's wrong with you. Like you are who you are, but like you can transform whatever it is that you, you can have and be whoever it is that you want to be. Yeah. I think what people, unfortunately, they think it's kind of like this whole transform is like, I got to go and I got to, you know, do these, these crazy drugs and crystals and smoke or, it's going to be like a Power Ranger, like, you know, power up and I transform like a transformer. And it's not it's not supposed to be that weird or that fast. I think it's this this it's already happened. I think the hard part for people to grasp is the fact that you have already done this. It, it, the fact that you have a job means you transform from being a child into an adult. Uh, you're responsible, maybe. Maybe you have a car, but, you know, you don't like the car. The only reason you don't have that next thing is because. You haven't become the next level you're supposed to be to have that. Because if you had, you'd already have that thing. And yeah, you haven't committed. You haven't done it yet. And so the, the thing for people, they think it's just some like uh, spiritual, I got to ask for it from the secret of the universe. I'm like, yeah, there is something in energy. Don't get me wrong. There 100% is. But it's, it's always amplified by the work you choose to do. And what happens is the, the more consistent you are, the, the more you put time into something, the more it's the creation process. Because here's what the time is. The time is typically like, when do I get to the point where I'm just good at this thing? Like, that's what people want to know. When do I get to the point where I'm just good at this thing? And the, I don't think the question really is when, but it's like how. And the how is the thing that everybody is, is man, they break. Because what ends up happening is I, I try this thing and I suck at it and I don't do it again because it hurts. I don't want to feel that pain. I realize I suck at it. I'm not going to try this and suck again. So we don't step back up to the plate. And what happens is now you miss out on, on getting the lesson from that loss that you could have then reapplied to be able to play the game again. And maybe you did lose again, but eventually what happens is what you're doing is you keep stepping back up when everybody else doesn't want to face it again. And over time, it's not this immediate, like a, a switch just flips. It's like, you'll wake up one day and realize like, I've been doing this for the last 10 months. And when I started it, like this was incredibly difficult and I hated doing that one thing. And now I just do that like it's nothing. Like that's that's all. Like it's easy to me. And everybody else still struggles with it. Well, why? Because they never got back up. They never kept doing the thing. But you learn throughout. You adjust throughout. You adapt throughout. And then eventually you come up. And it's like this now becomes this thing that you do like an autopilot. And it's just who you are. And it's interesting. Everybody who's successful has done this in any capacity. I don't care if you're a movie star or you successfully learn to mow your lawn. It's like. After you've done an amazing job, you'll look back and somebody can ask you, hey, Roman, man, how'd you do that? Like, well, back when you were unsuccessful, what were you like? And the, almost verbatim, you'll hear people say, like, ah, you know, like, I was, I was a different guy back then. I was a different girl back then. I just, you know, I just did things different. I was a different person. Genuinely, like, that's really what people say. I'm not, like, making it up. People will legitimately tell me, like, ah, I was just a different guy back then. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? And what it really means is, like, you just operated differently. You were a... A different human and, and you just you kept doing the house when everybody else would sit back down and make an excuse and chase a new shiny object you just kept stepping back up it's that process where over time one day you wake up and go i'm a badass i don't know what happened but all of a sudden i'm a badass and now i've got the midas touch anything i touch will turn to gold eventually eventually you'll have that, that, touch. that that's the thing that's the thing nobody fuck everybody i, I mean like but like you, we we are like we're almost the same age. You're only a few years older than me. Uh, like we're like probably the last generation. Well, we are the last generation that didn't like have the internet our whole lives. Yeah, really. Right. So the internet fucked things up in a way because it made instant gratification. Like I can go online and now I read this thing and I think I know this thing. It's like you can read whatever the fuck you want. You still don't know shit. Yeah, like until so you actually fail and fuck up and do it and get up and get and like keep doing it. Like the, that's when you realize you don't know shit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to, a lot of the, the knowledge you'll learn that separates you is learned on the path, not before. And so For sure. people, they get off the path. So they, they lose that golden information that that's what, I mean, think about it. anybody that's successful. That's what they're doing. They're turning around and saying, Hey, um, you're stuck at stage one of the race and there's 10 stages. Hey, I ran the race. Let me tell you what stage two through nine through 10 looks like. And they come back, give the insight, right? And even then, there's only so much that can be verbalized. And there's certain things that I explain to people. I'm like, you're not going to get this. I'm going to try to tell it to you in words. But there's such a nonverbal experiential piece that you're missing right now that I got to dumb the words down so you get it. And then when you experience it, you go, oh, here, oh, dude, perfect. <laughs> 
perfect example. My son runs track, <laughs> and I, I have, you know, I've trained athletes for years. I own a gym for a decade. And I was telling him how, hey, look, when you lift weights, conceptually, like when you lift weights, it makes each stride stronger. If you can have more strength and move your legs the same speed, well, each step powers you farther so you get faster. It's how it works. It's power. Speed over time, you know, it ends up your power over time becomes your power. Sorry, distance over time becomes power and that becomes like your speed. So what ends up happening, it's like, all right, cool. What's funny, like a couple of weeks ago, he's been training for a while. And he hasn't really run. My wife takes him out to the track and he runs. It's like 300. Gets a faster time. And he goes, Dad, man, I didn't realize. Like, dude, if, you, if you're stronger, you're faster. I go, what the hell? Like, are you serious? Like, I, I've already told you this. Like, it, it logically goes, yeah, but, but it, I didn't get it until I kind of felt it. I was yeah. like, oh, like, that was the, that, it, it's like, I don't care how many big, the kid's a smart kid. What I just told you logically makes sense. But it wasn't until he felt what power did for his speed that it's in him now. Like he, it's a different sense of like when he's lifting weights, he really is connected to understanding how this painful effort will provide a positive outcome he wants. A hundred percent. I mean, it doesn't click until it clicks. Like you don't get it until you get it. Like it doesn't matter who the fuck tells you, like it has to just like be perfect timing where honestly, like what I, like for me, I get things when everything falls apart. Yeah. Like when everything has fallen apart and I feel fucking like hopeless, that's when all the teachings that I've been reading start to pay off because it's like, oh my God, like I can't believe that this is the thing that I read 10 years ago. Now it fucking clicks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you became this superstar athlete. Did that fuck people up that were around you? Uh, Not completely. I mean... It was weird because I was the only athlete and the only athlete in my family. I'm one of six and my mom and dad, none of them played sports, like nobody, right? So when I started doing my thing, my parents were like, all right, do what you want. Like, choose the college and, you know, go play in the NFL. Like, it was just, <laughs> there wasn't even like a vicariousness to it because it just legitimately wasn't their thing. So yeah. like, that, that was interesting. But then, you know, I've had the same woman in my life since I was 16 years old, since I was actually good at football. She's always kind of been there. She's my wife still, you know her. And yeah. so that didn't really mess her up. I think the dynamics of who I was at different stages affected the people around me, but the game in sports didn't really did. I, I've had a same core group of friends, colleagues, you know, I've kind of always been for the most part a fairly siloed off human. Like it's my family and that's kind of what it's been. Even when I played in the league, I wasn't out partying and meeting a bunch of women and, you know, living it up. I was at home playing Call of Duty and just doing schoolwork to get graduated from college. Like I wasn't, I wasn't doing much. And it's funny is, is to this day, I have this weird dynamic where I like to, to almost evade the stigma of the NFL guy. So I don't tell many people about it. But the crazy part is almost like 90% of who I am is because of that game, whether it was the success I had financially that fed a future part of my world or whether it was the, the mindset I had or the way that I had identity issues that forced me to upgrade who I was. Like, dude, it's always been a really interesting aspect to me but but as i got older and the work i do now like i want to run from it and i don't even know why I, it's a weird pull that i i don't try to consciously put thoughts around because i don't know why i would but uh but yeah man it's, it, the game never really messed people up around me more than it messed me up probably yeah huh. all right so it's perfect i mean you segued it perfectly um you are like the woman that you're with now is the woman that you were with in high school Right. Yeah. yeah you, you you guys took a break and then you guys found each other again. Call it a break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, a break. Yeah, we'll call it a break. Uh, what was that like? Uh, I don't. I, I think a better way to say it. Not we took a break, but we broke. I think mm. that was kind of the best way, right? Uh, I, I think the interesting thing was, you know, 16 years old. We don't know what the hell we are. Like we're just these two kids trying to figure it out. Then we have a kid at 20 years old in college. Then we have two more kids by 26. So we got three kids, 26 years old. Like, that's not your norm. And and I end up, you know, my career with football ends, and I'm trying to find out who Anthony is. So I'm I'm going through a massive identity crisis, as is she, and we have kids. And it was just, it was a dynamic that was, you know, I guess, built to fall apart. And so, unfortunately, she has an affair, and everything goes downhill, and we go our separate ways, and I, you know, I'm running amok doing, doing what guys do when they're single because I'm figure out myself and she's doing what she does and reliving, you know, some of the college days that I possibly could have missed because we had a kid. 
And, uh, and it was interesting. I think what ended up happening was I went through my own kind of journey and I met the right people and I was in the right place at the right time and did the right work when it was necessary. And then started asking some of the really hard questions people don't typically ask of themselves that forced me to find answers and accept them as, you know, this guy is an alpha ego as a football player and in doing so, there's just a lot that you uncover when you decide to pull back the curtain and really take a look at what's behind, right? Because then you get to see the, the true monster. And it could be big and it could be small. And for me, like, there's a lot of big monsters back there, man. A lot of ego issues, a lot of, you know, uh, lack of forgiveness from childhood stuff and then stuff with my wife and then blaming other people for situations. Like, things that I would I would place outside of me so I didn't have to own the, the control or own the power of having to fix it. Because if it wasn't my fault, I don't got to worry about fixing it. Because no matter what I do, it's not going to work. So why even have to put effort in? But the moment that you start seeing the monster, you look back there and the monster is you. Now you got some work to do. And uh, and so what we did is like uh, I went our own separate ways. And then I did my work. And she did her work. And then oddly, around the time that we reconnected, because we connected at an event and we connected after the fact, um, that was when we kind of got back together. Like we went out to, to Costa Rica and Tamarindo and, and we got a chance to, to meet. I guess as I tell people, I met someone for the first time that I'd known for 16 years. Like she was vastly different. I was vastly different. We had different discussions about the same problems with different perspectives and we're far from perfect, but it was a, it was a good like opening for the two of us to like actually take a look and realize like, Oh, you know, we realized we, we actually were and are the right people for each other. But at the time we, we didn't do what needed to be done to be the right people in that relationship, in that marriage. So we're together, but I'm not the right guy at the time, nor was she. And when we kind of reconnected, man, it was a matter of like, we ended up figuring out who we were and who we wanted to be and how we just show up for the relationship and, and do it. It's been great since we're almost, I think we're about four years in. Yeah. About four years into to being remarried. It's amazing. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I remember hanging out on the beach and talking about it. It was, it was fun. It was a fun time. Yeah, man. Transformational, interesting times and that, that soothing soul, kelping water, you know, <laughs> For sure. For sure. So can you tell me about the project that you're you're working on now Yeah, and, and how you're helping people in that space? Yeah, it's always this uh, this thing to try to help. I think it's the one thing I hear consistently. I want to help people. Right. It's the interesting part because a lot of people don't want to help people. They have no clear way they're going to help them. And I think that was a kind of start for me it was like, how am I going to help people? So the work I do now is an identity. and It's really at the core of, of everybody. Yet. People don't really focus on it. What people do is they do the surface level work of mindset. I'm going to work on mindset. I'm going to affirm things. I'm going to say things. And what's very interesting is there's studies that show that, that if we go left brain for a second, if you have the, the tools and strategies of mindset work in place, but you do not self-categorize as the person in that area, the mindset will never work. Like you always, if the, so if like I have the great you know strategies and tactics of, of what it takes for to be a mindset as an entrepreneur but I don't think I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to battle myself the whole time. I'm never going to launch that thing, push that thing, shout for the mountaintops, right? So that's one piece of why, like, I realized, like, man, there's got to be another piece and I found identity as a piece. And then I try to connect the dots. Like, okay, well, how does identity genuinely, like, help people? Because what I do is I teach people how to upgrade how they operate, which allows them to reach, like, a more maximum potential of who they are. And that's the goal. Like, how do I get you to operate in a level where you're really like kicking out stuff at, at a high level of life without stressing with, with, with like the same level of ease and flow that you have now in your life, but have way better outcome. And if you go to like identity, identity is interesting because really what it is, it's, it's who you are when you are not thinking about who you are. It's, it. it's like, it's, it's like this person that just, you take information in, you process it a certain way. You make, you make adjustments and choices and decisions a certain way without consciously thinking about it. Somebody cuts you off and you react. That's just, that's just who you are, right? Something happens and you react. Something greater you know, or even horrible. Um, whenever it comes time for your workout, whenever it comes time to write emails, or what, there's just certain things that we do. And what happens is, that's I call it your flow. And, and how you flow essentially is how you operate. Like if you think about people who are successful and have great performances, for example, let's take a... An actor, right? There's an actor who may come on like a DiCaprio and have an amazing performance. But what you're not seeing is behind the scenes how this person operates, how they show up, how they read the script, 
how they uh, how they, they do the things that everybody else thinks are incredibly hard and crazy. Can they do those things like it's easy to them? Because when they can operate at that level, performance becomes cake. So what I do is I go back and say, okay, how are you operating? It's like literally, like what's your mental fortitude? How do you execute? What's your consistency and your discipline? Uh, you know, what, what, at the end of the day, like what's your disposition? Are you enjoying? Are you not enjoying? And what I find is like there's certain people when you really notice it, like there's an operational flow they have. And that flow, that operation determines your performance. If I operate well in the background, I perform amazingly. It's just what it is. Tom Brady, the dude operates in his life like a machine when he gets up, when he goes to bed, what he eats, how he trains, how he watches film. So what does it turn into? He's a goat. He performs amazingly. And then what happens, your performance depicts your success. So when I work with people, it's like, all right, what is it that you, if I say, you know, you want to have success first off, what the hell kind of success do you want? And that's, this is common sense. Like everybody starts here. What do you want? Okay. I want this. Why do you want that? We get a clear picture, but then I don't go back and say, all right, let's just start doing things. Let's just start exercise and then read that book. And like, no, I want to know what the hell are you supposed to do? What do you need to do that needs to be done? So you can actually level into upgrading how you are operating. So we go back and we take a look, like how the hell do you operate? Let's be honest, be real, like look behind the scenes. This is not a new concept, by the way, either, because a lot of people, they have parts of their programs like, let's just figure out, let's discover what's going on. But that's a huge key piece. Now, how I do it is vastly different because I think the worst person to analyze you is you. And, uh, and whenever you analyze you, either you see all the bad things or none of the bad things. It's very weird. There's not much of an in-between for people. They're either way too hard on themselves or not hard enough. And so what I've found is like a lot of the work you need to do is, is done through getting clarity from other people who are interacting with you in, a, in an interesting process that I do. But what happened is now we come away with a clear picture of like, dude, this is who you are, man. This is, this is what's going on. This is how you operate. Let's take a look at, at the person that you may want to be. What do they have? What's your success? And you'll start noticing if you watch like, I want to be a, an actor or I want to be a, you know, a professional athlete. We'll take a look at certain people. And you got to figure out, like, not so much what did they do, but who are they that got that thing done like it was an easy, breezy Sunday? Because when you can do that level of effort, that easy, breezy Sunday, like that feeling, but, it, like, it's natural, dude, that's how you kill people. Like, that's how everything just kind of rolls over and you have the Midas touch for human beings. And so what I do is, like, dig in and we actually, I call architect. We architect the ideal identity for your dream. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, cool. You want to be a mom, cool. You want to be a CEO, cool. We got to go back and, and figure out not so much what are the productive tasks that that person does. Because the problem is when we go to that mindset work and that productive task, what you, what you are doing essentially is you're trying to force yourself to do something that you know inherently you are not. And you will only do it for a certain amount of time before you choose to give up and then give a good excuse to do something else. And so what happens for a lot of people is they'll try it for a week, maybe two weeks, but they're in their head. They're saying, I am not this thing, but I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to try to get there. It's very odd because like when you have that mentality, you do it for a short period of time and you will walk away from it eventually. Almost a hundred times out of a hundred times. But if you in the back of your head go, you know what? I am, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. Now I may not be a successful one yet, but I am an entrepreneur because I'm a person who will make money and, and believes that if they do these things, I'll, I'll do the things that make me money so I don't have to have a boss. That's who I am. I'm a sucky one right now, but that's who I am. And that difference, like that little separation tells me that whenever I go and talk about, you know, how I go past the hardships, when I go and face those things again, I'm not facing them trying to be this thing. I'm facing them as this thing, but I need to improve. Cool. Where do I improve now? So now all these things you call failures that you want to walk away from, they're now genuinely just learning lessons. And I'm figuring out, oh, okay, this was the area I had to work on. Let me fix that. I suck, but I'm going to get better at it. And I get better and better. So for me, it's like I, I take people through a process that allows them to architect and then activate an identity of the world. But all of it, every single thing I do is brought down to very specific, tactical, daily things they do. Because the creation process has to come into play. So we talk about the create creates you. But I need you to have something that you know why you're creating process to create it and where you know that if you if you at the end of the day have created this thing you'll become that thing and, and whether it's a person or it's you know an accomplished individual in something specific 
It's just got to be a thing where you focus on, I got to operate at the level that my dream demands. Because when you do that, performance happens, success happens, and now you've got that thing you want. I love it. I love it. It's like, uh, like the flow thing happens when we're operating without our stories. Yeah. Like, who are you without all of your stories? Because when you hit that groove, it's just like everything flows like and, and that takes a lot of alignment and that takes a lot of fucking like that's why it's so important to have somebody like you uh, on their side, because realistically, like like you said, um, <laughs> you said some people are too hard or some people are not hard enough on themselves, but it, it really boils down to honesty. Some people are fucking liars. To themselves and some people are brutally fucking honest but also not kind yeah. because honesty and kindness need to work together if yeah, you're yeah. just honest and you're an asshole to yourself you're going to be in the same position as the guy who's a fucking liar yeah there's got to be a duality to it and that's the, I think the marriage in between is there's got to be those two pieces you got to have grace man like you got to give yourself grace like accept there's something because the word grace says I know there's something off but I'm going to give you some appeasement I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit because just yeah you know like you sucked at something doesn't mean you have to, to accept that's who you are i think it's the problem too is just that imposter syndrome of that's not me or i don't deserve this thing and so you're constantly battling yourself because you want this thing but you won't forgive yourself enough to go get this thing it's it's a super weird thing because you're hoping you can work yourself out of that mentality and you can to an extent but really what it boils down to is just simply accept the fact that like hey people are busted man we all gotta figure our own crap out so give yourself some grace and some space to become the better version of yourself without being the, the thing that's, that's literally, you know, putting like a board over the seat trying to grow in the ground. Like we all have these things. We got like I had to focus on things for myself that I just I didn't want to accept about myself and I wouldn't give myself grace. But the moment you do, it doesn't mean that like everything you did that was wrong in the past is OK. It's not what it's about. It's not saying it's okay. It's about making it okay, making it better from that moment, using that catalyst. And that moment is a catalyst of here's the reason I do poorly, as opposed to here's the reason I deserve nothing. For sure. In uh, in in Tibetan uh, Buddhism, they have a idea called Maitri, and uh, it it means loving kindness to self and others, and that that's a really important quality because it's like yeah, we all we all fuck up. Like we all do things that maybe quote unquote are wrong or bad or whatever. But the reality is like, how do we know that joy and inner peace and, and success or whatever it is that you're looking for isn't hiding behind that thing, right? Like who knows where, like where else is it going to fucking hide? (laughs) You know? Yeah, it's true, man. So out of all the people that you've worked with, I know you have a lot of people that you work with. What are some of like the, the, the pitfalls that people tend to fall into um, for the most part. Yeah, that's um, dude, that's going to be one that's more of like uh, the pitfall for people is the fact that they think they've done the work. I just talked about this earlier today with my team, like content. It's when people like assume oh, I've done that work and I've been in that space and I've done this thing and I, I don't need you know, any help. It's those who have already invested and, uh, and have an ego around the fact that they don't need any help. Like everybody – there's some allure to the idea of being self-made and not, not be able to give anybody else the credit for your, your success, which is super odd. When I used to train football players, I would always have a problem with the, uh, the head coaches. I would do something coaches would not do, but you know, forbid it ever happened that I trained a group of athletes and they become faster. And then possibly the coach would have to say, you know, I, I had – more in shape athletes to win this football game that then and the, they went somewhere else outside of my team. It's a weird ego thing. And the same thing shows up in the world of what I do. The biggest problem is I've got people who happen across the work and they'll watch a video and it'll say, it'll like be very transparently them. Like, Hey, maybe you have, you know, a big already made multi-million dollars. Maybe, you know, you haven't made any money, but you do have another level of what you want. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the reason you don't have that thing you got to test to something so you can attest it to the market or I just haven't done the work or I got this one. I just got to get this one thing done. I just got some other things going on. I haven't focused on it yet. Like those become statements people say. And for me, the biggest thing is like if I sit you down and really poke you, what you'll find, what we'll both find is like, no, you just suck in that area or you have that thing. 
it just is what it is. Like it's it's worse because I think people they hide behind minimal success. They 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 hide behind like this thing that they give them a sense of ease. So they don't have to go to sleep at night feeling bad because they've had this to-do thing on the to-do list they haven't got done in a while. They haven't written the book. They haven't read the book. They haven't, you know, finished the course. They haven't um, done the coaching program. They haven't done X, Y, and Z, but they've invested in it. So I almost feel like the, the, the hardest thing is pulling the ego back and really saying, look, I'm not, the, I'm not as great as I want the world to see. And, oh, man, social media really doesn't help with this. Because I know people that have, you know, they've reached out and, like, on their social, it looks amazing. They got the images going on and, you know, the posts and the cards are right, but they're dying inside. I'm like, dude, like, why don't you just get some help? Well, I don't want people to think that, you know, da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, but do you want to think this about yourself? Cause, cause the thing is you think that right now, regardless of what they think, like just do some work and like be open and transparent give yourself some freedom and open. But no, man, the ego comes in and they don't want to do you know anything extra. It's, it's like, it's odd. Cause the work that I do with people, it shifts things. It seriously skyrockets some people's success all off of just a couple triggers and some, some mental blocks. And a lot of this, like getting rid of destructive patterns, which that's tactical stuff, but they won't do it because to do it means they have to accept that they need help. For sure. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So what, who are the type of people that you really like love working with? Like, well, who is your ideal client? Yeah. I'm like, uh, to be honest, would be like entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, you know, speakers, authors, coaches, and by entrepreneur, I mean like the person who oversees a group of people, right? You know, it's like they lead a company, like a CEO. Um, and then entrepreneurs in the realm of like solopreneurs in my realm of like speakers, authors, coaches, these people. Because here's the truth of it. There's not in our day and age a shortage of information anymore. Like Rome, everybody has access to everything. The colleges don't even have monopoly info. It's all out there. The, the information is on books, journals. It's free. So for Free. me, I'm like, right. life, life or somebody's life work for $20 you can buy yeah. with all of the fucking information, everything. So then why don't we have success? Why, why do people fall short of what even their version of success is? Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's happiness, a better body, whatever it is. So my question is why? And when I usually get to that, that realm, what I find is it's this lack of, of execution. They don't do anything. It's like our world is, is coming to the back end of, I believe an information age. It's going to be an execution, speed of execution, ease of execution, all that kind of stuff. And all that boils down to how you operate. How do you handle getting up in the morning and not wanting or not feeling like doing something, but do you do it? How do you handle when a client wants to quit? How do you handle when a client wants to sign up? How do you handle, you know, when your, your wife or your, or your husband, you know, walks out on you or cheats on you? How do you handle it when they're having a good day? Uh, how do you handle dealing with your staff or, you know, there's all these little moments in time that we don't even notice, but they all matter. It's when do you post, how do you respond to an Instagram DM? Like, dude, all these things are tied to it. And so my, my ideal person is a person who is sitting there and they know that they are leaving success on the table. They know it. They know that there's like, man, I, I shouldn't be making more money right now. Uh, I should have more free time right now. I shouldn't be as stressed and busy. I should uh, be healthier. I should. But they, and they're they, shooting all over themselves. You know what I'm saying? And they, they <laughs> think the thing is, oh, I just got to get a planner. I just got to hire this person to delegate. I just got to know you do not. You need to figure out why in the hell you aren't doing that without that person, right? Because you can hire somebody all you want, but they got their own baggage. Unless you teach them how to do something like you do, which you don't have to do it yet, obviously, you have the same problems, right? So my ideal client is the one who I can get to and get them to remove that barrier of protecting the bad part of their identity that's keeping them stuck. Because the more they protect that piece, the longer they get to stay there. You get to keep what you protect them. So the moment that they, they stop protecting it, let me beat it up, and they beat it up with me, now we can build a better one. Now we can operate, like seriously focus on operating at the level that their dream demands them to operate. But the cool part is, it's not forever. You don't always have that, that resistance of like willpower being drained. To be totally honest, the majority of it, like the intro sucks, but then it gets, it gets flowing. And in fact, the same level of like exertion somebody feels now, which is usually easy, in the beginning it's tough, but after a while you feel the same level of exertion, but you're operating at like three times a level. Like think about the way, I, to make it real for some people, there are individuals that I know that they can get about two hours of focused work throughout a day of like a six hour work day and they're smoke. Like they may putz around for an hour, you know, they may do something for 20 minutes, but I'm talking like super inflow focused two hours of work 
that's their mess. And then what happens is they give up at a certain point, like, ah, I'm just going to go watch TV. My brain smoked. I can't do anything else. But then you got people who, like, they can sit down. I can sit at my computer for a solid six. We got six, seven podcasts today, Roman. I'm focused. You know, like, I can get seriously six to eight hours of work done a day, super focused. My, I got my egg timer. I got my, my hourglass if I needed. I got headphones. I got music. I got the environment. I got the food. I got what I need. And I'm in. And so here's the beautiful thing that people don't grasp. If you can't operate like this, and I mean, think about what can throw you off. You can get a, a message that throws you off, an email that throws you off, but you open it and you just, you waste an hour down a rabbit hole. But if I can get six hours, let's say I get six hours today. If I can do that every day this year, Rome, by the end of the year, I got three years on year one. A hundred percent. That's it. That, that's the game changer. And it's not because of the book I read. It's not because of the course I took. It's, it's not magic. I, it's all, it's how I operate, dude. And part of it is in the beginning, it's difficult, but now it becomes easy. I, by the end of this, this year, I'm going to be able to do eight hours. I'm four years ahead of you. It's no percent. But if people keep trying to be the same person trying to do things without a focus on what they got to become, yeah, dude, next thing you know, you're stuck. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my dad used to tell me this shit all the time. He's like, man, your generation punches really fucking hard, man, but they can't take a fucking hit. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, and I never got that until like recently where I, like, I mean, I've been taught to take hits, you know what I'm saying? Like through martial arts and just through like fucking hustling growing up in the streets. Like we used to scrap all day, you know, and and people used to talk shit all day. And like it was just like a high stress environment. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about, like those high stress fucking environments. And like most of these people like. They think that the internet is real life. Yeah, that person wrote a fucking negative comment on your Instagram or your Facebook. Yeah, like, so fucking what? Fuck that dude. Like, yeah. that dude's hurting inside or that chick is hurting inside. Like, that's not about you. That's them. And yeah. the reality yeah. is, like, the question I like to ask coaching clients is, like, where do you run away? Like, where do you go to run away? Like, is it Netflix? Is it ice cream? Is it is it jerking off to porn? Is it like fucking getting drunk? You know what I'm saying? Like everybody runs away um, because they don't want to face that discomfort. So it's like running away takes a lot of fucking energy. Like I'm sure right now that at your six hours a day, like there's not many places where you can go run away. Like you've dealt with a lot of those things. Yeah. And that's kind of how it has to be, man. I've had dealt with a lot of those kind of things. That's the the thing is, is the more you lean into it, that's that's what it's about. That creation process is – you, you have to put yourself in a position to feel things, to experience them, to then have that lesson to press on. But a lot of people get stuck. Like I told you, the problem that has the key to all your success, you haven't even gotten to it yet. You're still seven problems away from it, stuck at that one problem. And until you figure out how to navigate this one and bring that tool to the next one and the next one, you're not going to even access what you're supposed to get because you keep getting stuck at a problem that shouldn't be a problem right now. For sure. Lean into the fear. Yeah. Lean into the discomfort, like lean into it. That's how you get stronger. You know what I mean? Like that's how you build muscles. Like you don't get to how much you weigh now, Anthony. I'm about 235. You don't get the 235 pounds of muscle without leaning into discomfort. No, it's part of the process, but it's it's, in part of it's leaning in, but it's not even, it's weird because it's like leaning into discomfort, but there's always that statement that, you know, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that the, the thing people miss out on so succinctly with that is when I say comfortable, I'm not talking about be okay with discomfort. When I think comfort, I think cozied up on the couch, fire, you know, I got my hot cocoa. Like that's comfort. That's like a, a palpably positive feeling. When you can have that for the things that give people discomfort or for discomfort itself for yourself, now you have a level of success people can't touch because most people can't find joy in that. They'll, they'll deal with it for a minute, but then eventually it's like, I don't feel like dealing with this anymore. And they walk away. They stop. But when you find comfort, you find joy in it, oddly, you do that thing where everybody else doesn't, and then it looks like magic. And then you they, do it better. Yeah, that's it. Then they say, oh, you're special. Oh, I'm not special, man. I just I just chose to find joy in this thing. My wife and I always have some weird things that we do. And to be totally honest, like, well, now to get stuff, I'm like, look, I don't want to go half the places you want to go, but you know what makes it great? The moment that you decide to go and you want to go, and I'm like, cool, let's go, my head switches over from the things I dislike I try to find joy and I always do. 
I go to meetings with like family with her family. It's weird. Or I go, you know, to, to friends groups and I'm like, Hey, what, I'm going to go there. Oh, they got cornhole in the backyard. I'm going to go play some cornhole or like they got this cool game or like, Oh, we're going to watch a show. I find something I can find joy in and guess what? I do it. And then it's much easier and it's much smoother. And that's the thing that people fall apart with, man. They're just not spending time trying to find the joy, but here's a big piece. It's who I am to do that. I don't try and have headaches with it anymore. Like it genuinely becomes part of my identity, how I operate. And now I operate a tip that people can't touch. It just is. And so when, when you get to the love trying to figure out what's the secret, the secret isn't what you know, it's what you do. Yeah. Even more so who you are. <laughs> there you go, All right. So what does your daily life look like? Like what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? How do you, uh, how do you eat? Like, what do you do to train? What do you do for leisure? Yeah, man. So I get up uh, in the morning, take my kids to school. They're out of the house about eight. I come home. Uh, I sit around with my wife for about a half hour till 830. Then I have certain days where I have specific stuff. Either I do uh, some reading or I'll do some research stuff. Then I get a client calls, a podcast, meetings all throughout the day. They usually conclude around 334. When those are done, I catch a workout with my family. By five o'clock, we're pretty much done chilling at the house. And I take away at weird little stuff, whether it's projects or whatever wasn't done for the day. I just kind of hang out until about... 10, 10 30, and then I'm in bed, man. And I get back up the next day. I'm usually up about 7, 6 37 every morning. I love it. I it's love just, it. Well, that's how I operate. But even in that, there's always this thing of like, how do I manage the emails? Because you know, like somebody, this happens, you get the email, you look at, you're like, ah, oh, that's going to take some time to respond to it. And that email will sit there for two or three days. When really, when you dig in, it's like a 30 second email. It needed 30 seconds of your brain power. But they step. Sure. And then, so, like, th those little things, I'm presently and consciously aware of. This email comes in. I don't want to respond to it, but I know that if, it, if I just give it 60 seconds, I'm done with it. Let me clear the inbox out. And now I get that piece done. I operate smoothly. So now I can operate later on in the day more, more succinctly. It, it There's more no friction. There's no nothing. friction. I don't got the weight in my head of, like, oh my gosh, I got all these different. None of that bothers me, and I get to move smoothly. I mean, bro, I hit you up about the podcast. You had it booked in like 10 minutes with the bio and the headshot sent to me in my email. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like that. that but that, that's how I operate. Because I'm from New York, bro. Like, like I'm a hustler from New York. You yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, I, I respect that. Gotta get it because done, in New York, like, if you don't hustle, like, you don't eat. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> so... All right. So what, what is, what does your diet look like? Like, what are you drinking when you're, um, when you're, when you're working? <laughs> uh, I have chai teas. I, I just, I like chai tea for some reason, green teas. I don't do coffee. I've been using this stuff called mud water lately, which is pretty good. I, I drank some a few days ago. It was good. Yeah, I like it, man. It's cool. It's like a coffee substitute, but it, it's not like super just tea tasting. So I've got, it's got some substance. Uh, so I like that mud water. And then throughout the day, man, I kind of do, uh, and I guess an un unstructured intermittent fasting. I don't plan to do it, but I typically don't eat until like 12 or one because I got to work out a little bit later. And then I, you know, I'll have like a protein shake or something. I have like maybe some leftovers, which is some kind of like a protein and some kind of vegetable or something. And then at dinner, my wife makes whatever's for dinner and she's it's like, she's a eating healthy, super clean freak. So, uh, I mean, she looks jacked, bro. Dude, she is nowadays, bro. She's on it. She is getting things. She looked fucking ripped last time I seen her. Yeah, she's giving for track season. She's even more in shape right now. She's actually bugging me like, hey, when can I go work out? And so I'm like, whenever you want to go work out. So she's still figured out. She tries to get things done early. But no, I got a whole program for her and my son, but she trains. So yeah, that's food-wise. We're not some rigid, you know, control freaks, I guess. We eat fairly clean during the week, and in the weekend, we kind of have our couple, like, one or two cheat meals, but... It's just not this food isn't this center point priority for us. Like we eat, you know, but it's, it's not Ew. like as some people are like, they plan out the entire you know week's meals and all the, you know, all this extra stuff. And it's like, we spend more time worried about where we're going to take a vacation or we take a trip with the family or going to catch workouts than the food. The food is important, but it's like, we just eat healthy stuff. Like get some chicken, some tri-tip, some steaks, and then, you know, throw on, we have some vegetables, we have some brown rice if we need it, but you know, big enough fruits, we get a bunch of fruits. We just go and buy a bunch of stuff in bulk. We're not doing like recipe books every night, you know? So it's like, yeah, bunch of stuff in bulk. It's healthy. Put on the plate. Let's go to work. I feel you. What are you doing for leisure nowadays? Uh, dude, we just, I don't know. We work out. That's pretty much it. Can't go very many places. Uh, but no, we just walking. I can go do the, you know, the, the field and do sprints right now. The family's like, we're just going to get back into a physical flow. So my wife and son are preparing for track by, I've got their whole program written. They've weights. I teach them how and what to do. 
my twins, you know, one's doing football. I'd lead him in football training and my daughter to swim. And we just take trips. Man. We took a trip to Tahoe last week. We're heading down to some place called Tower Park this weekend. Just kind of, I don't go and explore the world, man. I love it. I love it. All right. I'm going to ask you some like lifestyle questions. What kind of house do you live in? Uh, we live in a, it's about a 3,000 square foot flat house. It's simple. It's in a California, man. <laughs> California makes it expensive. We're actually in the process of looking to move to Texas. The same house we have here, well, same price. We can get a house that's like literally like two and a half, maybe three times the size with like, you know, as much as like nine acres of land in Texas, all brand new. So we're probably going to be moving. Where in Texas? Um, McKinney and uh, that called like, you know, northern area above uh, Dallas. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk soon. I'm, I got some ideas on that as well. well do you live on land right now? Uh, no, we don't. We got a big backyard, but I want to have some land. I love it. I love it. What kind of car are you driving now? Uh, I drive a Ram fifteen hundred, like the the like the new ones they have. Love the, Yeehaw! The big whole thing. It's dope, though, man. I like my truck. No, I love it. It's an awesome truck. Yeah. What are you learning now? Um, right now, I've been focused heavily on the anatomy of marketing campaigns. So I'm in uh, part of it's copywriting, but a lot of it is the the sheer structural integrity of a of a campaign for marketing. So a lot of people have great products. And I spent time thinking about product and frameworks, right? But then it's like when you get to the base of it, it's like, oh, there's so much more, you know, science to the psychology of just a marketing campaign and like the, the thesis, the idea, um, the promise, the, the lead, the, the, you know, marketing arguments, the, all these things that tie together. So that's what I've been learning a lot lately. My first mentor used to say, uh, you, you could sell, <laughs> you can't sell, with bad marketing, you can't sell free gold. <laughs> that's with great. good marketing you could sell a product that doesn't even exist that's amazing yeah i wouldn't doubt it man all right so these are imagination questions these are like lightning fire imagination questions if you weren't an entrepreneur who would you be um i'd be a boxer bro i love it what's one thing you would love to trans well actually no what is one thing you would love to upload into the minds of everyone on our planet um upload into the minds uh I think it would be the ability to, to shut off the, uh, the immediacy of an excuse as soon as something goes wrong. Like to give mm. you, give you a pause button and let it sit for seven seconds. So you can contemplate what will happen after you make this decision uh, so that you can actually make it. Cause I think the problem is sometimes people spit something out and now because it's out there, they have to defend it. But if they were to go back in time and like take a different, they might've thought like, ah, maybe I'll say something else. Because their pride won't let them change their mind sometimes, unfortunately. So for sure, upload that little pause before you say something. Yeah, I love it. What What is the number one book that you recommend to people? Uh, well, it's not out yet. And that, that book is called Identity Shift. And that'll be out in April. But uh, <laughs> that's my book. <laughs> now, at the moment, I, love it. I think a good book to start with, I love to begin with, was uh, the book was simply called uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey's. I think it's a really good baseline. Beautiful book, yeah. Beautiful book. What's the kind of music you're listening to right now? Um, I've always, I mean, I'm, I'm an electronic guy, man. Not techno, but just electronic music overall. Like that gives me a good kind of sense of ease and peace. I love it. What's your favorite ice cream combo that you would want made for you? Um, Rocky Road and Pralines and Cream. Oof. Oof. If you were a food, what kind of food would you be? I would be, what would I be? I'd be a beat. Would I be a beat? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be a beat. I, I love it. Great for oxygen, bro. There you go. If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? A manta ray. A manta ray. Wow. Big black manta, because they're, they're, they're beautiful and they flow and they kind of just do their own thing. However, like if you step on it, the damn thing will stab you in the heart. Yeah. Rest in peace, Steve, everyone. That's it. Uh, if you were a car, what kind of car would you be? Oh, I would end up being an Audi R8. Ooh, ooh, that's a sexy one, isn't it? Sleek and clean and powerful, but and, you know, it, and it roar and it growls. Yeah, it's unassuming. It, make, it makes you wet. There uh, you go. That, wow. What's your enneagram number? I have no idea. All right. What is your horoscope? I'm a Sagittarius. Okay. Okay. If you were dying now, if you were dying, what would be your last meal? Um, a number six ali'i from Hawaiian time. Wow. What's that? It's a chicken and rice mix that I don't know, it's just delicious, bro. They have this stupid, amazing secret recipe that I love. I, I drive hours to get it. 
Wow. They, they have in California? They don't. They got it in Reno. But if they come to Cali, I'm opening up a, 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 my own franchise. I promise you that. All right. Last experience. Who would you share it with? What would you do? Uh, my wife and my kids. And we would watch a movie. Uh, it doesn't matter the movie. is. We'd all just sit there and watch a movie. I don't even know what it would be. That, that'd be my happy place, bro. I love it. What movie? I don't know. Anything. A family movie. We call it a family movie. I've had to pick it, though, because I picked the best ones. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? Uh, Avatar. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Last piece of advice for the next generation. Um, man, make shift happen, bro. That's always my thing is, is obviously you get to take the F out what it turns into. But I think the biggest thing is you have to make the shift inside so you can make the shift outside. So you got to make shift happen. I love it. Last line on your tombstone. Uh, the last line. Let's see. I think the last line could be a that could be a lot of things. The last line, dude. Here lies a man who did things nobody thought were possible. There you go. I love it. I love it. Do you have anything else that you would like to share that I wasn't able to pull out of you? Uh, no, nah, man. I think we're good. I think I rambled enough places for people to get some information. I mean, people aren't going to remember everything, but I think what I said was, was definitely what it should have been said. For sure. Well, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing these stories, too, because this can definitely resonate with some kids and some people out there that truly believe that they're alone and hopeless and they have all all that they need inside of them at this moment. Yeah, man, that's the goal, man. Just serve as best I can, bro. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you soon. Ditto, man.